There's my secretary. Thank you very much. Um, we are here in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and we uh, have just come through that ninth chapter where a blind man who was blind from birth uh, was given sight again. And we said last week that that guy was you or me before we were saved, born spiritually blind, helpless, a beggar spiritually, and Jesus touches us, gives us sight. We see the man throughout that chapter go from um, just calling him the man Jesus to eventually worshiping him at, toward the end of the chapter. Um, pick it up in chapter 9. Um, let's see, right around uh, verse 35. Uh, sorry, 34. So they, the Pharisees say to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. They're just doing an ad hominem thing. We're just attacking him. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That's excommunication from all things Jewish. He can't worship in the temple or any synagogue. He's basically a complete outcast. Um, before we dive into chapter 10, I want to remind you that the chapter breaks we're not in the original. John didn't write chapter 9 and then write 10 and start writing. They were added centuries later to make it easy to know where you're going in the books. Um, most scholars think chapter 10 comes right after chapter 9, like could be the same day, could be moments later even. We might be wrong on this, but I'll show you why it really ties into what happened to that blind man who got kicked out of Judaism and suddenly um, Jesus speaks the way he does here. Um, so there's a, a lot of discussion here about sheep and shepherds, pens and folds and flocks. And um, so we got to kind of explain all that stuff. But in an unusual thing that we don't usually do, I want to have you turn to Ezekiel. I want you to read something with me in Ezekiel um, before we uh, start, and that's Ezekiel 34. So go to the Old Testament, kind of the middle of your Bible is usually Isaiah or Psalms somewhere in there, and just take a right from Isaiah and um, several books to the right past Jeremiah, which is a very long book of prophecy, Old Testament, um, Lamentations, and then you'll see Ezekiel. <clears throat> um, the reason I give directions like that on how to find a book is I remember going to a Bible study when I was first a Christian, and man, they were going everywhere. Philippians, let's go to 1 Corinthians, let's go to Exodus. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Table of contents? You know, so that's why I usually give directions. Okay, chapter 34 of Ezekiel will set us up for what we're going to see in John chapter 10. We're only going to read the first 16 verses, um, so I'll just read them. I have NIV here. Uh, let's see, make sure I'm in the right spot. Yes, Ezekiel 34, uh, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. He doesn't mean the guys tending sheep. He means the leaders of the country spiritually. Prophesy against them. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Lord says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. 
You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Again, he's not talking about sheep. He's talking about people, the Jewish people. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord, assuredly as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and has so been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my, my flock, than for my flock. Then, therefore, sorry, verse 9, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from the tending of the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths uh, and it will no longer be food for them. Um, let's see. And it goes on from there, but you get the idea. It's a real rebuke of the religious leaders whose job it is to take care of the sheep, the people of Israel. And the same is true, by the way, the Latin word for shepherd is the word from which we get pastor. So although we're going to read that Jesus is the ultimate or the good shepherd, um, keep in mind that where you go to church, a pastor is a sort of an under shepherd for his little flock, that church. But we're talking much more globally in this chapter. Um, let's see, chapter 10, grab my notes, verse 1. Jesus talking, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, I wanted to take that little bite of the sandwich first, those first four or so verses, and I want to explain the whole sheep culture for you. Um, and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, let's see. So a sheepfold, some of your translations have, or a sheep pen. Um, let's see. Yeah, sheep pen is in NIV. Um, sheepfold or sheep pen. Okay, there were two types, the one in the village and the one out way out in the wilderness. Let's talk about the one in the village first, which is the one he's talking about here. The one in the village would be basically a large enclosure with walls made of rock or mud or bricks or sometimes sticks piled high up. And the thing about a sheep pen or sheep fold was it was a place where all the shepherds could bring their various flocks, not just I have my own sheep pen, you get one. That wasn't the way it was. So if you're a shepherd, you would take your sheep out into the wilderness to where there's grass, feed them. As it's getting dark, more predators, you bring them back into the village where you live to the sheep pen. The sheep pen would be all walls and only one entrance in and out, just for security reasons. We'll talk about that more in a second. So shepherds would bring their 
sheep in. So Ken was a shepherd, and so was Chris, and so was Jesse, and so was I. We'd all bring our flocks in, and he's got 48 sheep, and I have 35, and he's got 50, and he's got 19. We all bring them in there, and there's no branding like there is in the Old West where I've got my initials on my sheep. And they, if you've been around sheep, to you and I, they all look alike, right? So um, they would be put into that pen, and the shepherds, who that was a very hard job and not a very desirable job, um, the shepherds knew each sheep really well. And the reason is, at the end of the day, as they, they were out with them, protecting them and what have you, uh, by the way, we're going to take another detour and go to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, because that's going to be instructive as well, but not yet. Don't, don't turn there, I saw you. So... Um, Let's see, they'd all bring their sheep in there. Now to you and I, it would look like, well, there's a jumbled mess. You're never gonna find your sheep again. He might steal two of mine or I might steal three of his. And, but the truth is the sheep got to know the shepherd so well, there was never a problem with the mixing of, they would all mix together, uh, mixing the flocks. Each shepherd, when he brought the sheep in, would stand at the gate and would hold his staff or rod as a sort of a turnstile thing, stop, and each sheep one at a time would come. He'd put the rod over them, inspect them. Is there anything, parasites, any sickness, any injuries I need to fix? Okay, you can go. Next one. It wasn't uncommon for shepherds to name every sheep. Like you have a, if you have two or three dogs at home, you don't go, dog number one, come here. You have a name for each one, right? So that's the same thing for them. Uh, let's see. So that's the fold or the pen. Um, and what else do I want to tell you? The shepherds are exhausted. They bring the sheep in. There's a hired guy there that's the watchman, the guard. He works the midnight shift, the night shift, if you will. Um, graveyard, we used to call it and the shepherds are tired we all go to our homes or to a inn and get some rest all the sheep are in there they're secure in the pen there's only one way in or out and the watchman is guarding the watchman knows ken and jesse and i and chris as the shepherds that brought their sheep in he knows us by name so if we show up and try to take our sheep he doesn't say who are you um show your vaccine passport he just lets us take our take take our sheep on the other hand if vic shows up and the watchman doesn't know him you're not going to let him in you don't have any business being here um go back to chapter 10 now so now he's going to talk about in chapter 10 first of all the man who doesn't enter the by the, the sheep pen by the gate climbs in some other way what's going on here sheep were valuable sheep were valuable for their food valuable for the, uh, the fact that they were food for their wool and what have you. So it wasn't uncommon for people to try to steal sheep. Problem is, there's only one way in. And the, the watchman who will make wrecks here, he knows the shepherds that are here, not going to let somebody in. So they would usually try to jump over the wall, meaning come in in an illegitimate way. What is a door or a gate? It's the proper way to enter a place, right? The proper way. There's other ways to get into your house besides the door. You could come through the roof or through a window or down the chimney like Santa, but we're not here to talk about that. 
Anyway, the man who doesn't enter by the gate, just by the fact that he jumps the fence, indicates he's got no authority or no right to be there like we shepherds do. You with me so far? Okay. Now, they would usually, you, you say, well, he jumped the fence. What's he going to do now? He's going to steal a sheep. But a sheep is pretty heavy to lift over the wall. So they would usually kill the sheep, throw them over the wall, jump the wall, carry the, drag the sheep away. The watchman maybe never knew. Um, um, because they couldn't call the sheep, the sheep wouldn't know who they are. They only know their shepherd. We'll talk more about that. But the fact that he's climbing in some other way in verse 1, he's a thief and a robber. He's there to do nothing good for the sheep. He's there to steal. Okay, so that's category number one. There's all kinds of people involved here. Is the guy that's coming to steal and plunder the sheep or steal from the sheep. He's not there for good reasons. Okay, keep in mind the people listening most likely are the same Jewish leaders that were fighting with him in chapter nine and debating him. Do you remember that? And probably... A lot of scholars think the blind guy who can now see, if this happens right afterwards, it's likely he's there along with some of the disciples that are listening. Verse 2, the man who enters the gate, uh, enters by the gate, is the shepherd. He's the legitimate owner. He has a right to be there. That's why he comes right through the front door, the, wrecks the um, doorkeeper or the porter, I think King James has, just says, how you doing, and lets him in legitimate entry. The shepherd, we're going to talk a lot about shepherds, but we'll come back to that. Let's keep reading. The watchman, that's the guard guy, opens the gate for him, the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice, meaning the shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Before we go any further, because there's still a lot more to discuss, but this is all setting the stage, if you will. I'm going to ask you the question, so what? Bunch of sheep, and uh, I don't know much about sheep, and obviously there's spiritual meanings here. You saw it in Ezekiel 34, didn't you? The sheep were the people of Israel. The shepherds were the evil, wicked shepherds were the ones that had the job of overseeing them, but they were illegitimate. They weren't doing a good job. They were greedy. Fast forward to when this is being said, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the religious leaders of Judaism had become almost all corrupt in it for the money, and there was big money in it, in it for the power and the respect and going through the motions of the religious stuff and didn't really have a heart for God of mercy and love and grace and what have you, just like in Ezekiel 34. Um, Okay, the shepherd of the sheep. A watchman opens the gate for him. That's obvious. The sheep listen to his voice in the middle of verse 3. Do you see it there? The sheep, this has been verified by all kinds of shepherds. They got to know the voice of their own shepherd. Some shepherds called their sheep with a whistle, like not, the, you know, like a referee's whistle. I mean, just with your mouth or with a command. But as I told you, some of them, called them by name. And uh, it's a beautiful picture. In the Old Testament, there is verse after verse after verse that says, listen, for Israel, the flock of Israel, God is the shepherd. They all knew that. 
all through the Old Testament. Okay, this shepherd, the sheep listen to his voice. The picture is of Ken shows up for his flock. He's one of the four shepherds, and he calls his flock the way he calls them. And Chris's sheep and mine don't even wake up. They don't recognize the voice. They just kind of open one eye and go back to sleep. But all his sheep stand up and they come to him. They love him because he's taken care of them for so long, provided for them. We'll talk about the duties of his sheep in a minute. So he calls them. I love the picture of the shepherd that is so loves his sheep so much that they've almost become like pets. And he calls them by name. Come on, Gimpy, Blackie, you know, whatever, Donner, Prancer, you know, uh, Rudolph. Okay, sorry, wrong, mixed metaphor there. They listen to his voice. They are just tuned into his voice and his voice only. My sheep are tuned into my voice only if I'm a shepherd as well. Um, uh, let's see. He calls his own sheep by name. Okay, here's a hint. And leads them out. Now, what is the sheep pen? What does that represent? Some have said, oh, it's the church. But he leads them out. Does that make sense? No. Okay, some have said, well, the sheep pen is heaven. Again, he leads them out, right? What just happened in chapter 9? We again saw the religious leaders that were total hypocrites, right? Didn't rejoice that a blind man could see and, or that there was a miracle worker there that was clearly from God. Instead, they want to kill the miracle worker and they excommunicate the guy out, hint, hint, out of Judaism. Virtually every scholar I could read said, the pen is apostate, corrupted, incorrect Judaism. Now, are you anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish? Not at all, not at all. But at that time, what God had intended for Israel is in the Old Testament. And what it had become was so different, so um, corrupted, so greedy, all the sacrifice. Remember, Jesus casts everybody out of the temple and turns over the tables because they're just trying to make money. Um, the pen is apostate Israel. There's a shepherd that's going to come and lead his sheep out. Keep in mind, our main character, besides the religious leaders, our main character is the blind man who just had the rug religiously pulled out from under him. He's out. He can't worship God anymore. He can't go to temple. He can't go to... Um, a synagogue, he can't sacrifice. He's in no man's land spiritually, and Jesus is about to show him, you're out of that, but you're in with me, okay? So I just want to take this one step at a time and not leave anything out. Um, we're going to see there's all kinds of <clears throat> bad shepherds um, as we go. But for now, he, notice there's no Jesus saying, this is me, He's just telling a little story about men who enter the sheep gate to steal and rob, verse 1. People who enter and that have a right to that are shepherds that are um, designated by God. 
Okay. Verse three, the watchman. Remember, we made that Rex over here to my right. The watchman um, opens the gate. He's the guy in charge of the gate. Okay. So if there's a pen, which is Judaism, and there are sheep in there, and a shepherd is calling to take his sheep out, we'll come to that later more, who is the watchman? Okay, now there was more than one theory on this, but the majority theory is it's God. God is the one that allows certain shepherds in legitimately. He's making an analogy here that the religious leaders that are hypocrites in Judaism in the first century are the guys jumping the fence. Thieves, robbers, wolves, we'll see later. Okay, they don't have a legitimate right to be there. That's the point. Um, let's see. Uh, the shepherd knows his sheep, calls his sheep by name, uh, and leads them out. It's a, just an unbelievably beautiful picture. Um, do we want to go there now? Hmm. Um, yeah, we better because I'll forget at my advanced age. Um, question for you. Is everyone who says they're a Christian a Christian? What do you think? Probably not. Probably not, right? It's possible to say you're a Christian. It's possible to go to church and act like you're a Christian, and there are um, people that do so. And it, just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than if you stand in a garage, it doesn't make you a car, right? Or if you swim in a lake, it doesn't make you a duck or a fish. There's more to it than that. So there are those who say they're Christian. There are pastors, there are people on Christian television and radio and Christian internet sites who have Christian, in quotes, ministries, but they're leading people astray, just like the Pharisees. Don't look at this as, oh, look at those Jews and that religion they had was so bad. We're in the same boat here, folks. Christianity, there's a lot of wolves and thieves and robbers who are in it for the air-conditioned doghouse, the money, right? So um, the question is, you want to be one of those sheep, don't you, who hears the voice of the shepherd and recognizes the voice, right? Um, so keep your finger where you are, but turn to Acts 17.11. Acts 17, verse 11. Um, let's see. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so Paul uh, in Acts is speaking to the Bereans about the Lord Jesus. You've all heard of the Bereans, right? All kinds of Bible ministries have the word Berean in them. So he's teaching them about the Lord Jesus. At the time he's doing this, it's possible that the gospel of Mark and Matthew were already written. Paul may have had other books written. Peter may have written his books by then. Okay, they also have the Old Testament books possibly. Now the Bereans, verse 11, were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness. So that's good. Watch this and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. What's the point? That the measuring rod, the final court of arbitration for somebody saying something spiritually about God, Jesus, Bible, salvation, sin, whatever, is the Bible. 
Okay, so this verse, 1711 of Acts, is telling you to check everything that I say against the Bible. And if it doesn't line up, throw it out. The same with your pastor or anybody on TV or the radio or your friend next door that calls himself a Christian. And so there's a sense in which, I'm kind of giving away the plot here, but you all hear the voice. What voice? Not mine. God's voice. Christ's voice, who is the real good shepherd we're going to see. Do you mean audibly hears what? No, no, I don't mean that. But I mean that when the gospel message as commanded by Christ is preached, because we can't hear his voice. Those people could hear him talk. Can you imagine? When the gospel message is preached, you hear it and the lights, bing, bing, go on, right? The bells ring and you go, this is true. I'm hopeful that everybody on Zoom and all of you in this room know your Bible well enough that if I started teaching, let's see, that, you know, the Bible, a lot of it isn't really true. It's just not. It's just a bunch of stories. And some of it is, I hope you'd walk out or at least try to convince me. Or, you know, Jesus really wasn't God. He was just a great man. Or that, um, you know, all the religions are true actually. If I was teaching that sort of heresy, hopefully that would be like a, a, a shepherd going, and you're not sheep for that doctrine. Do you understand what I'm saying? So um, let's see. There's all kinds of false teachers on Christian radio and TV, Acts 17.11. Check out what they say with the word of God. Very, very important. Um, if we are the ones who decide, you know, I like the Bible, but I'm going to decide what sounds good. Then the danger is that you're becoming the shepherd for yourself, right? And you're likely to say, I like that teaching. There's a new age church just down the street where you can go and find out that you are actually gods, all of you. You just have forgotten your deity. I hope if I ever preach that, you'll throw something at me and leave, right? Uh, God forbid. Um, so uh, let's see. Be on your guard of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Matthew 6. Paul, after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Notice from your own number, they creep into the churches. You say, I would think Satan is at the strip clubs and the drug dealers and the gang members' houses and wrong. He may be there, but you know where the demons want to get in? They want to get in here, the church. They hate you and me. You got a bullseye on your back ever since you became a Christian, not from God, from the devil. So he wants to infiltrate. Um, Matthew 7 talks about wolves in sheep's clothing who are actually ferocious wolves. Um, so you say, well, there's so many counterfeits out there, it's kind of overwhelming. Listen, the way to know a counterfeit is to know the real thing so well that when you, the reason you all chuckled when I said, you know, you're all gods and some of the Bible isn't true, you know the doctrines of Christianity well enough, most of you to know, that's not Christian, what you just said. Everyone goes to heaven, that's not Christian. Jesus really wasn't God. He didn't really rise from the dead. Not Christian. You know it, don't you? We used to, Sherry and I have a friend 
She doesn't work there anymore, but she used to work at Bank of America and counted money all day long. And they had machines that did it. I asked her once, do you study counterfeit $100 bills? She said, never. We don't even have to. We just study the real thing. And you get to know, she said she could smell a counterfeit bill. You ever notice money kind of has a smell? She could feel blindfolded, this is counterfeit. Um, the way to know the real thing is be in a Bible study on your own, here, at church, whatever, stay in the word, right? Um, let's see, we already talked about that. Test everything, hold fast to that which is true, First Thessalonians 5 says. Very, very important. Um, okay, back to John chapter 10. I wanted to give you all that background. So we've got a pen with some sheep in it, some thieves coming over the fence, um, some people who enter by the gate who is the, is the shepherd of the sheep. He has a right to do that. The watchman, probably the Holy Spirit, opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. This is all going to come back later in the chapter. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Notice leads them out is plural, meaning there's a corporate nature to the flock of God's people. But also notice he calls them what? Calls his own sheep by name, meaning there's an individual aspect to this as well, where he calls Sam and Joyce and Joyce and Boyce and Kay and even Joe individually. In the Bible, uh, Jesus, just in the Gospel of uh, John, calls um, several people by name. Um, anyway, we'll get to, we'll come back to that. Um, we already talked about that. I'm just looking at my notes. There's so many notes here. Um, if this analogy works for you, that's good. But I got some bad news. Oh, no, we love the idea of Jesus being the ultimate shepherd. Me too. But think, if he's your shepherd, what does that make you? A sheep. Now, you know, dolphins are really smart. So are chimpanzees in the animal kingdom. Sheep, dumb, <laughs> prone to wander, defenseless, okay? We used to have, maybe 15 years ago, a guy in this Bible study who in coarse gold was a shepherd. He had a bunch of sheep, raised sheep. He confirmed everything I'm telling you. They are so dumb, it's mind-blowing. He knows of situations where a guy had sheep on a cliff and one sheep walked off the cliff, fell. And the others went, let's go see what's over there. And they followed him off until the shepherd stopped them. The shepherd's job is to care for the sheep, protect the sheep, direct, protect, inspect, correct. There's a lot to it. Provide for the sheep. So, with all that as background, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Who's them? All of Israel? No. The believing people in Judaism at that time, this is very Jewish. We'll get to the Gentiles later. He is going to lead some of them out of the pen of Judaism because Judaism was wrong. No, no, it was never wrong the way God gave it. It was totally correct. Christianity is completed Judaism. 
okay? But it had become so corrupt, God knew who his own were, and he's leading them out, including the blind guy who was getting kicked out anyway. And Jesus said, yeah, you're out of Judaism now. I'm your shepherd. Come with me. You know my voice. Remember, he worshiped him in the end of chapter nine. Okay. Verse four, when he, that's the shepherds, we still haven't said it's Jesus or not. When he leads, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Most shepherds did what's called driving their sheep from behind, sometimes with a stick or even a whip to keep them from behind. Keep them moving. Keep those doggies moving real hot. Okay, this sheep, this shepherd, I mean, goes ahead of his sheep and leads them to clear the way, to look for predators, to find the best food. But they know him so well. They know his voice. He speaks. They follow. That's you with the Lord Jesus. You hear the word of God preached and you follow. It rings true to you. Um, he knows his sheep by name. If the shepherd is Jesus, and it is, and you're all sheep, guess what? Good news and bad news. He knows you so well. I would say he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than anyone else in the universe, which isn't good. But he loves you just the same. He loves you so much, he's not willing to leave you in that condition. He wants to slowly, through the process of sanctification, change you and I and make us what he wants us to be, better. Um, he knows all your motives, your thought life, your past, your secrets, your flaws, all your sins. He loves you anyway. But he's going to clean you, change you, bless you. Um, oh, there it is. Jesus in the gospel of John calls by name, Philip, Mary Magdalene, Thomas, Peter, and next chapter, Lazarus by name. Um, okay. So he, this shepherd leads his sheep. He goes before them. Um, was it time to go there yet? Yeah, it probably is, but let me see. Um, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Keep your finger here. Go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. So back to the middle of the Bible, find Psalm 23. May I suggest, if you're able to memorize, and most of you are, Psalm 23 is only six verses. Trust me on this. Memorize it. And when you we can't sleep at night, when you're freaked out, when you're scared, when you're lonely, when you're... The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Pause. You can think about that for half an hour. Okay, are you there, Psalm 23? Um, it's one of a, a passage that I've memorized. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. We, we all know it so well. We go, yeah, the Lord is my shepherd. Listen, of all people to be the guy in charge of leading me, protecting me, providing for me, taking care of me, that verse is saying God himself is the guy in charge of watching over me and leading me. That's astounding, just that alone. If God is your shepherd, what are you worried about? He can't provide for you. He just doesn't have the power to protect you. He doesn't have the wisdom to lead you. Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want is how it reads, okay? I lack 
nothing. That's what it means. To want is to be, I need something. It doesn't mean a brand new Mercedes, you know, one of those really nice campers, you know. It means all my needs are met just in that sentence, the Lord's my shepherd. My needs, not my greeds, are going to be met. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What's the very first thing? You've come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. We start off with rest. Isn't that amazing? We were striving to earn our salvation and try to be good enough so God would owe me and I could get what I want from God. And he says, rest, I got this. He makes me to lie down. Sheep don't lie down very easily. If they're scared at all, they'll never lie down. They'll always be standing, looking around. You see a sheep lying down, he's very secure. He makes me to relax, to lie down. Where? Green pastures. What is that? For a sheep, it's the ultimate smorgasbord restaurant. It's all your favorite food. Green pastures in a dry country like Israel in the Middle East. Makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still or quiet waters. Not the rushing river where I step in and get, there he goes. Quiet waters, the beautiful, peaceful picture. We could spend all night on this psalm. We won't. Um, I better turn there because I'm, I'm forgetting now. Um, he restores my soul, right, is the next phrase. What's that? Well, the first two, there's rest, which is spiritual, and food, green pastures. There's water, which is also physical could be spiritual too. Um, but then he restores my soul. You ever feel like your soul needed restoring? He does it once for all. He restores your soul. He saves you. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. It can be translated, he leads me on the right paths. Your path might not be the same one for me in a specific sense, career, where to live. But in a Christian sense, we have the same path that we're supposed to live in. Uh, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Get off the path and disobey him for a time. That's where the predators are. That's where the poison oak is. That's where the ticks are and all the bad stuff you don't want to find, right? Stay on his path. Um, verse four. Um, hey, it's interesting, the end of verse three, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I would think it would be for my sake. It is, but it's for his reputation's sake. What do you mean? If I showed you these are my sheep right here, and you looked and they were all mangy, some of them had one eye, a lot of them had legs bitten off, you'd go, you're not a very good shepherd, are you? And I say, I check in on them now and then. On the other hand, if my sheep look pristine and healthy and well-fed and safe and not, not, they don't even have an injury on them, you'd go, you really care, don't you? He leads us in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Notice, not run, kicking and screaming and yelling. I walk through the dark time of my life. I'll fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's talking to the shepherd now. Before, it was not as personal. Did you notice it's all third person before this? The Lord, that guy is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside. He restores. He guides me. But even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, death, notice you are with me. Now he's talking directly to the shepherd. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rod and staff, staff, tall walking stick with a curve at the end, used to, when a sheep gets out of line, hook them in the neck and pull them in. Also used for light discipline. Ro uh, that's the staff. Rod, smaller stick, almost like a billy club. Shepherds were so good with it that it was heavy too. You could, they could throw it and hit a predator right in the head and scare him away. Also used to discipline the sheep when they uh, would not listen. Um, we could go on, but I don't want to read the whole thing. Uh, but I do want to read, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, meaning I'm an honored guest. My cup runneth over. Absolute abundance. Now I'll go back to John. I know I'm cutting out early there, but <clears throat> we're not here to study Psalms. We're here to study John. Uh, but I wanted to give you that. A shepherd was all in to protect the sheep that he loved. He knows him by name. They know his voice. They follow him. Verse 5, I'm back to John 10. He's still awake? Say amen. amen. Good one. And those of you on Zoom, are you still there? Okay, good. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. I just demonstrated a stranger's voice to you earlier when I said, you know, the Bible's not really all true. Most of it's just made up. Jesus didn't really die on the cross. You're already going, oh, something's wrong here. I hope you are, right? If you're saying, tell me more, something's wrong. Um, Muslims, by the way, don't believe uh, Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die. Judas, who looked so much like him, Muslims teach, died instead. Where do you get that? Book of Illusions, chapter 5. Um, they don't follow a stranger. They'll run away from him. They don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus warns in Matthew 24 about the end times, false Christs, false prophets, false messiahs are going to come and lead, mislead many people. We're seeing it today. On the one hand, God's pouring out his spirit on planet earth. On the other hand, man, there is all kinds of bad teaching going on, even in Christian churches. Um, we won't do it now, but I have all kinds of documents of all the false teachers that are in Christianity right now, teaching you that Jesus, um, there's one, two, there's a guy and a gal that both teach that Jesus did not pay for your sins on the cross. Huge ministries, a woman whose initials are J-M uh, and a man whose initials are J-O, teach Jesus did not pay for your sins on the cross. He had to go to hell and be tortured by Satan for three days. That's where he paid for your sins. Does that bother anybody? It's clearly unbiblical. So go tell Mr. Osteen and Miss Meyer that they're wrong. Okay. Anyway. Uh, let's keep rolling, shall we? I'm just looking at my notes. Um, the way to know the counterfeit is know the real deal. That's why you're here, whether you know it or not. Um, and also you're growing closer to him. Um, verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Isn't that interesting? You do, because you're a sheep. You hear his voice. When you read the Bible, you hear his voice. When you listen to the Bible on and recording, MP3 or CD or whatever, uh, eight-track tapes even, um, when you hear somebody preaching the word, when you read a Christian book that's legit, you're hearing his voice. It rings true to you. Verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the 
gate, door for the sheep. You say, wait, now we're getting into mixed metaphors here. I thought he was the shepherd. Well, he's, gonna, he's about to say that. He is the shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, the good shepherd. In fact, in Greek, it reads, I am the shepherd, the good one, as opposed to these guys, he's saying, the false teachers of Judaism. Okay, I am the gate. Remember the doorway? Okay, now we're on to sheep pen or sheepfold, second type. Type number one, in the village. We all bring our flocks in. There's a night guard there. This is the one way out in the wilderness. Okay, guys would build them and leave them. Same design, big walls all the way around, one entrance in and out. No door, no door, no door, no gate, no gate. Listen, a shepherd out in the wilderness is getting too late. I can't make it back with these sheep. I've got two injured ones. I better stay in a nearby pen. I know where there's one on the other side of that hill. I take my sheep over there. I bring them all in to the pen. Listen, and to protect the sheep, I lay down and sleep in the doorway. So that literally the shepherd is literally the door. Have you ever heard the saying, over my dead body? That's what he's saying to predators. You want one of these sheep? You want to eat one? You want to steal one? You want to kill the whole herd? Over my dead body. you got to come through me. A lion, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, would never come across there because the man's there, the shepherd's there. He literally is the gate itself. What is a gate or a door? The proper way in, right? We've said this before, truth is very narrow, right? It is. Two plus four is six. That's the only right answer, but I could name you a thousand wrong answers. Two plus six is 49. Good try, but you're way off. It's narrow. In the same way, there's one way into the kingdom of God. John 14, six is where Jesus says another one of the I am statements, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to God except through that little narrow doorway. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to salvation and few there are that find it. Remember, you've heard all that. Let's take our two minute break and pause uh, the recording if I can find it here on my weird screen and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Two minutes. Find your seats back there if you will. Okay, we left off in John 10. Uh, let's see. So he just said, I tell you the truth. Um, whenever he says that, it's a way of saying, listen up, this is really important. He's the gate. He is the one way in and the one way out. This is a different type of pen and he is the actual gate. He's going to say that again in a second. Let's go to verse eight. He's going to talk about the false shepherds now. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. That's the phony baloney Pharisee Jewish leaders that had led Israel away from what God wanted to a bunch of man-made rules and traditions and the kind of Judaism that says um, you're in big trouble because you healed that guy on the Sabbath. 
Instead of saying, praise God, what power God has given to heal a man born blind, all they care about is nitpicking on the little things. Jesus calls them blind guides. Um, thieves and robbers, there's that verse again. There's that, those two words again. But the sheep did not listen to them. For the same reason you won't listen to false teachers, um, it kind of makes your skin crawl to hear people speak blasphemy. Um, verse 9, I am the gate. He says it again. Whoever enters through me will be, what? Saved. In other words, we have led them, the sheep out of one pen, apostate or corrupt Judaism, and he's saying, now we're entering into a new sheepfold or sheep pen, which is the church, which is Christianity. So far, we've just been very Jewish. I'll show you why in a second. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He's, he's claiming exclusivity, notice. Whoever enters through me, period. Say what you will about Jesus. He was very specific in saying, you have to come through me. I already quoted John 14, 6. I think it's Acts chapter 4 or 5. Peter says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Truth is narrow, right? A thousand wrong names, a thousand false prophets and what have you. So is he the door or is he the shepherd? Yes. Both, because in the situation I just gave you, the pen that was out in the wilderness, he literally is the shepherd who lays down as the door. Don't be surprised that he's both things. I could spend all night showing you that he is everything that's good. He's already the bread of life, and he is the light of the world, isn't he? Bread, light, gate, shepherd. He's also the great I am. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the snake that was up on the pole. Remember that in John 3? Um, he's our everything. Let's see. So he's our passageway in to being saved. But there's also security and safety there in that he's guarding the door. He is the door himself. So there's protection there uh, as well. Um, I want you to notice the grace in verse 9. You say, Gray, I didn't even notice grace. I'm the gate. Whoever um, can pass the test and live a perfect life, whoever can live up to my standard, it's grace. You know what you have to do? Come on, enter, walk in. I like to say that when I picture myself walking into a relationship with Jesus Christ whereby I'm saved, I, I think it's not the trumpets blow and the spotlights come and I raise my hand and go, thank you very much. I think it's a doorway about this big. You say like two or three feet? Yeah. I think you got to get on your hands and knees and crawl through? Yes. Well, that's very humbling and demeaning. Yeah, good. He doesn't leave you in the dirt or put his foot on your neck. He says, get up, my son, my daughter, I love you. But we don't come with the big pride thing and I deserve it. We come humbly in that little, it's a low gate. I don't know if I could prove that to you scripturally, but I thought I'd throw it in at no extra charge. Um, 
Let's see, I'm still reading notes here. Um, yeah, it's just grace. All we do is enter. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the Jewish leaders that are listening to him. That's every other false religion outside of Judaism and the falsities inside of Judaism and inside of Christianity, by the way. They're coming to steal, to kill, to destroy. Um, and he's making an analogy, a, a comparison here. That's what they come to do. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. If you think by coming to Christ, you're going to, it's not going to be as much fun. It's not going to be as great of the life I would have had. Forget it. It's the most abundant life there can be. Then you, and then only can you be on that path we mentioned earlier in Psalm 23. Then and only then can you not fear when you're walking through that, that um, canyon where it's shadows and death and all that. Then and only then can you say at the end of the Psalm, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sh right before that, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why would you turn that off or down? So he's come that we will have life to the absolute fullest. Um, we already talked about that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we talked about that too. The word for um, to the fullest is parisos in Greek. It means absolute abundance, surplus, which is why I read that line in Psalm 23, which says, my cup runs over. Now, if you came to my house and you had a glass and I said, would you like some, you know, water? And you said, yes. And I poured into a glass that holds eight ounces. I poured 13 ounces. It would just make a mess, right? Like, oh, we get some napkins. That's not the picture. And it's not waste either. My cup runs over is a picture of abundance to the point that I have so much. I'm exuding it and giving it away. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, that whole psalm is. Anyway. Memorize it. We're going to have a test next week. I want to hear if you can all do it. Um, okay. Um, let's see. Where were we? Verse 10. Yeah. Life and have life to the fullest. You say, boy, that sounds expensive. Not for you, but for him. The ultimate price. For you to have life, this is one of the paradoxes of Christianity, for us to have life given by him, he has to give up his life. He has to die in our place, take the punishment we deserve after living the perfect life that we couldn't live without sin. Verse 11, finally, you're going to say it, Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The Jews knew Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore, if he's the Lord, What's he saying? It's another way of saying, I am, John 8, 58. It's another claim to deity. I am the good shepherd. There are seven I am statements. We've already had three or four. Two in this chapter, I'm the door or the gate. I'm the good shepherd. By the way, people say sometimes that are external to Christianity. Now, do you take the Bible literally? You know, because if you do, and he says he's the door, then he had hinges probably somewhere on his body, right? And a doorknob where his belly button would be. It's not literal, 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 wooden literal, stupid literal. 
it's, you know, raining cats and dogs. You don't go outside and look for a poodle coming down, right? You could step in a poodle. Never mind. But the point is you take it in the sense in which it is intended. I am the good shepherd. Again, don't forget the analogy where we are sheep prone to wander, defenseless, not that bright. I admit it. There's a humility to that, isn't there? I'm the good shepherd. Here it comes. Because he just said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the fullest. He's going to explain how now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Meaning what? Dies voluntarily. It doesn't say the good shepherd gets railroaded and killed, which is true. He says he lays it down. Of his own accord, if you have King James, right? It's the only place Honda is mentioned in the Bible. Um, sorry, that was a bad joke. Um, he lays down his life of his own accord. The word there for life, there's two words for life, um, and it's neither one. It's actually the word P-S-Y-C-H-E, which is like psyche or soul. It doesn't mean the physical life only. It means the whole enchilada, the whole being, body, soul, everything. I lay it all down for them. Normally, when there's a bunch of sheep, and then here's the shepherd, big strong guy, loves the sheep, protects the sheep, leads them, provides for them, cares for them, directs them, protects them. Yes, we know, Joe, move on. But normally, if the shepherd dies, what happens to the sheep and the flock? Trouble, right? They're going to get scattered, by the way, Old Testament says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Who was the shepherd again? Jesus. Who were the immediate sheep around him? The 11 disciples. I'm excluding Judas for obvious reasons. What happened to them? They were scattered, right? Peter denied them. They all are in the upper room, scared out of their minds with the door locked. We're going to be next, but only for three days, right? Then he shows up. And he's the shepherd for them again. The good shepherd lays down his life for, H-Y-P-E-R in Greek. It means instead of, in the place of. I lay down my life so they don't have to. In the place of his uh, disciples, his sheep. He lays it down um, voluntarily. This is something that God commanded him to do. We're going to find out in a second. But this is the extreme. You know, Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You all have friends, right? Would you lay your life down for them? That really be like, hmm. Jesus didn't even think about it. These are my sheep. I'm willing to do it. Unbelievable. Okay. We've been uh, Jewish so far. We're going to get to the Gentiles in a second. I'm just looking at uh, the rest of my notes here. This is the perfect self-sacrifice that he would be giving his life. Matthew 20 says the son gives his life as a, listen, ransom for many. Ransom. Who was holding you hostage? The world, the flesh, the devil. He paid the price. Only he could do it sinless. Um, um, so he, uh, yeah, he's laying down his life. Um, Matthew 23 says, woe to you, Jesus says, experts in the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Listen to this. You're locking people out of the kingdom. 
he's coming to let them in. They're locking people out of the kingdom um, and don't don't even allow people to come in and they won't go in either, he says to them. You neither enter nor permit those trying to enter. So what we have here is quantity and quality of life that he um, offers us. Life to the fullest. He lays down his life for the sheep. Now we get the other character, the hired hand. The hired hand is not, or the hireling in King James, the hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. What's going on there? Okay, the hired hand is what's called a mercenary. I'm only in it for the money. I'll pay you, I've got to go on an errand. I'll pay you 20 bucks to watch these sheep for an hour and a half. I'll pay you $1,000, whatever. Okay, I'll do it. Does the guy watching the sheep care about the sheep, know the sheep, give a hoot about the sheep? No. What's he doing it for? The 100 bucks, right? Danger comes, the guy splits, forget it. Contrast between the hired hand, which he's calling the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders who are only in it for the money. When there's danger, they're willing to compromise with the Romans, compromise their theology, etc. The hired hand's not the shepherd. Notice who, now we get a new term, owns the sheep. Some shepherds were hired to be shepherds. This shepherd owns the sheep. Do you know, fellow sheep? that he owns you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. He owns you. Now, you may disagree and say, bah, but you're wrong. He owns you. He absolutely loves you. Um, so the, the, when he sees a wolf coming, he defends you, protects you, leads you. This guy abandons the sheep, and that's why the sheep are attacked and scattered. The coming punishment from the time he's saying this about 40 years later for the Jews is that Rome will sack the city of Jerusalem, kill somewhere between a half million and a million Jews, scatter the Jews around the world, burn the temple to the ground, and take it apart stone by stone. The punishment for saying, no, we don't need this Messiah. He's not our guy. The man, verse 13, runs away because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep, is explaining. He doesn't care, I'm just in it for the money. Verse 14, says it again in case you missed it. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Mutual knowledge, one of the other. He knows you better than you know yourself, loves you anyway. And we know him. There's that intimate relationship there of the mutual knowledge of each other. He's got a vested interest because he owns the sheep. Uh, the word for know is gnosko. It's more than facts. It's a trust and intimacy kind of know. Um, you say, well, he knows me. He's omniscient. Of course he knows me. How can I know him better? Well, the obvious answer is you get to know him in the word, don't you? The more you read the word, you get to know Jesus and God the Father. Jesus has the audacity to say, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. We're not there yet. How do you get to know 
the good shepherd? Time. The more time you spend with him. If you're a new sheep and you haven't been a Christian a long time, 10 years from now, you're going to know him a lot better than you know him now. Just like if you're a new sheep in a flock and that's the shepherd, you kind of, I don't know if I know this guy yet, if I trust him. As we live our lives and we see him, his fingerprints in our lives, the things he does for us, brings us through that we thought we couldn't make it. The more we know him and trust him. There's a song from the, I think I'm going to say mid 60s, maybe early 60s. Um, some girl sang it. To know, know, know him is to love him. The more you know him, he, some people, the more you get to know him, you go, oh, I thought he was this, but ew. the more you know Jesus, the more you'll fall in love with him. There's nothing bad to find uh, in him. Um, let's see. The thieves and the robbers just want to keep their position. They want to take the money and run. They don't care anything about the sheep. So you should be encouraged by this because you're not going through this world like an orphan wandering. What's going to happen next? Listen, you have a shepherd that guides you, leads you, loves you, cares for you, inspects and corrects you, kind of painful at times, but all for your good. Ultimately, he leads you where he went, which is heaven, right? Um, yeah, we already talked about that. Um, go back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. I was falling asleep, so you woke me up. Um, okay. Uh, I know my sheep, my sheep know me, verse 15, just as the Father, God the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again. It's like a little sandwich there at the beginning and the end. The Father knows the Son. How is that? He's had a lot of time to get to know Jesus. How much time? Infinite. Before the world created, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, which is Jesus, was already with God face to face, intimate fellowship. They were together for a trillion years before the world was created, and that's just day one of their time together. No end, no beginning. Infinite time together. He, the Father knows him, and he knows the Father. In fact, he perfectly displays who and what the Father um, is. Okay. And I lay down there it again. There it is again. I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, another place he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. The point is, to a casual observer, the story of Jesus, he gets arrested. They beat, they have seven trials. They beat him up. They whip him. They nail him to a cross. He looks like a hapless, helpless victim doesn't he? The poor guy, look at him. Oh, he's so, did you see the Passion of the Christ, the Mel Gibson movie? Just swollen and bloody and gross. And he did that for me? I cried in that movie. I don't cry in movies very often. Um, it became personal for me. The point is, it looks like a hapless, helpless victim. And the truth is, he's laying his life down of his own accord. He, at the end, dismisses his spirit. He chooses the moment it's finished. Remember that? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dismisses his spirit. He chooses the moment. He lays down his own life because he loves you so much. Okay. A lot of Judaism so far. Let's get to the Gentiles. 
Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Wait, what was the sheep pen back in the first four or five verses? Corrupt Judaism, okay? He's pulled the believing people out of that pen, believing Jews. On Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, most, if not all, those people were, most of them anyway, Jewish. Jew, Christianity is very Jewish, start to finish. He's the Jewish Messiah. He completes Judaism. But the Jews, for the most part, said, no thanks, we don't want this guy. We will not have this guy to reign over us. They get punished. Judaism is dispersed. Jews are dispersed around the world. They haven't had a temple or a sacrifice or a high priest in 2,000 years because he is all of those things and more. Meanwhile, who ends up being the vast majority of Christianity? Gentiles. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew, right? Irish, Japanese, Italian, South American, Russian, Canadian, whatever. Even people from coarse gold can be Christians. Um, sorry. Uh, so there's the uh, Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Okay, there's a lot here. I have other sheep that aren't of this pen, meaning all the Gentiles. I want you to notice the tense of the verb to have. Does he say, verse 16, eventually I will have other sheep? He says it present tense. I have them now. Okay, this is where you are mentioned in this chapter. Most of you are Gentile Christians. He's saying 2,000 years ago, I have other sheep. How can he say he has them? Why didn't he say he will have them when the Gentiles start to believe as the gospel spreads out? Because they were chosen before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, Romans 8 and 9. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, the, Jew, the Jews that believe. I must bring them also. Why? We're going to find out if we have time that in John 17 and in John 6, he says that God the Father gave him certain people. And he says in John 6.39 that he doesn't even lose one. All the ones that God gave him, they all come to him. That's everybody in this room and all of you on Zoom if you're a believer. I'm sure there's people that aren't believers watching and probably are already asleep. But anyway, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. Now listen, they too will listen to my voice. That's what happened to you. That's what happened to me. For centuries, for almost 2,000 years, people have heard the gospel and some have thumbed their nose at it and some have tried to kill it off and burn Bibles, but others have went, tell me more. This really is struck a nerve in me. Um, they too will listen to my voice. It doesn't mean audibly again. It doesn't mean they just hear the gospel. A lot of people hear it. To listen to the voice means to hear it in such a way that it affects your life. You obey it. You believe it. You act on that faith. They too will listen to my voice. Listen to this. And there will be two flocks, one Jewish, one Gentile. Is that what it says? One flock, one shepherd. So 
I know people that are Jewish who have come to faith in Christ, quite a few. It's an awesome thing, okay? And they usually will say, I'm a, I'm a uh, Messianic Jew, I'm a completed Jew, uh, you know, whatever. That's all fine. But the truth is, there's one flock. Jews and Gentiles under one shepherd, Jesus Christ, the church. Jews and Gentiles, not in two separate compartments, not in two separate neighborhoods. The same goes for all the silly, in my opinion, denominations. When you die, don't get to heaven and say, hi, where's the Presbyterian section? You won't find it, okay? I'd like to be with the other Baptists if I could. I don't like those Assembly of God people. Please get them out of here. One flock, one shepherd, right? One faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and so the, any kind of racism or divisions are out the window. One flock, one shepherd. The reason, this is interesting, verse 17, the reason, reasons, or, or reason, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Now that doesn't mean that God the Father didn't love Jesus until he died. He loved him from the foundation of the world. However, obedience and love are very, very closely knit together. Okay? Jesus says in this gospel, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Translation, obedience. So you're saying that if I obey, that he'll love me more? No, but there's a special bond. Listen, the relationship you have with Jesus is directly proportional to your proximity to the shepherd, meaning how much do you pray? I don't know, three minutes a day? How much do you pray? At least an hour. How much every day? Yes. How about you? Two or three hours a day. That guy's a lot more in tune with his shepherd. How long do you read the Bible? I try to get five minutes every week in of really deep reading. How about you? About an hour a day. Wow. Do you see the difference? Proximity to the shepherd. Um, and with that comes your love for him and his back at you, as, as they say. Um, let's see. Um, oh, you know, we skipped uh, verse 18 completely, didn't we? Oh, no, we didn't. Um, yeah, no, there, here it comes. Yeah, the reason my father loves me is I laid down my life only to take it up again. That was the only way to save all those sheep that were God's. The only way. Um, uh, I'm looking at notes here. Sorry. Uh, yes. Gentiles. Oh, go to John 17. I want to show you something really fast. John. So you're already in John. It should only take you a second. Most of you can count. Go to John 17. Um, and I think it's verse 20. He's praying, um, for his people that they too may be truly sanctified. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. He's mentioning you in the future. That all of them may be one father, one flock, remember one shepherd, just as you and me and I, I and you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Um, John 17, when we get there, five, six years from now, um, is an amazing chapter. It's we get to eavesdrop on Jesus talking to the Father. Pretty amazing. 
Um, it's the true Lord's Prayer, by the way. The Lord's Prayer, what we call it, is really the disciples' prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer, John 17. Don't you dare read it now. We'll read it later. Um, okay. No one, uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I lay down. Oh, there it is. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Here it comes only to take it up again. Now, listen, the first half of that equation, anybody can do. Lay down your life. Go stand in front of a train, a moving train. Go play on the freeway. You'll lay, take a bunch of drugs and die. You'll lay down your life. You won't do the second half. Because once you're dead, you know what you are? Dead. I lay down my life only to take it up again. He's saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to raise myself from the dead. Part of the doctrine of the Trinity is that what one does, the others in some way are involved. I can show you scriptures that say the Father is the one that raised Jesus from the dead. I can show you Romans where it says the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. Then I can show you at least two scriptures, one of them here, that say, John 2, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, wait, that's a contradiction. Was it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Yes. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God. Simple enough, right? Um, he has the authority to lay it down and take it up. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, parentheses, even though it's going to look like it when they're nailing me to a cross, beating me up, whipping me. They're not taking it. I'm laying it down of my own accord at the exact right day. No one takes it from me, verse 18, but I lay it down of my own, there's Honda again, accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. It's incredible that he has that authority. In him was life, John, right around one verse, I think it's four or five. Life, that life was the light of men. He had life inherently so he could lay his life down and rise out of the grave. He gives that, by the way, to you. You can't raise yourself, but he's going to raise you up, right? Just as he did for himself. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, verse 18, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. All this is done in total obedience to God, the father, who told him, I've got some sheep that need saving. I'll go. I'll do it. Wait, you should really know they're going to kill you. Okay. I'll still go, Father. I love you. And if they're your sheep, I love them too. He lays it down and is able to take it up again. Um, let's see. Yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, go to Acts chapter 4. Since you're falling asleep, I want you to stay awake. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to show you human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Um, Acts chapter uh, <laughs> 4. Yeah, Acts 4, 27 and 28. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. There's the humans killing him. Do you see it? They conspired against Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. He's talking to God. He's saying God had decided long ago that this is the way it should go. Even though they did it of their own free will, he decided it. 
in, in Isaiah 53, it says it was the Lord's will to crush him. It's either there or Psalm 22, I can't remember. Anyway, one of those two. Voluntary submission, absolute sacrifice for the sheep. Um, we already talked about that. Um, okay, let's keep reading right now. You know what? We're just about out of time. Let's see if we can get one more verse. Yeah, this is a good place to stop because then we get the reaction. Do you see it there? Verse 19, at these words, the Jews got on their knees and received him as the Lord and Savior. Do you see that? No, they were divided. That's still the case to this day. Preach Jesus, you get people that go, oh, come on. It's an old book of myths and fables. You believe that stuff? A Jewish carpenter can save you 2,000 years later, and you'll get people that say, I have to hear more with tears in their eyes. Beautiful. Um, there's always a division. Next week, we're going to talk about um, uh, Hanukkah, believe it or not, the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Lights, and uh, what that's about, and also how Jesus told them he was the Messiah. That's what they're going to demand he does. And we're going to talk how he, about how he did that. If you have questions or comments, make sure you let me know. We're going to quit for now. I'm going to pray in a second. Um, what else do I want to tell you? Do invite someone to come in person or, um, or on Zoom um, if you live out of the area, but we'd love to have you join us here. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll close. Thank you, Father, that we have a door, a way in. We couldn't make a doorway in. We weren't worthy to come through the door. You made us worthy by dying uh, in our place. You are the single door that brings us to the Father. Thank you that, uh, Jesus, you are our shepherd. You lead us, guide us, inspect and correct us, provide for us every single day. Everything that's good in our lives has your fingerprints all over it, God. So we, And you lay down your life for us, God. How can I complain about any sacrifice I have to make for the kingdom of God or for church or for this Bible study if you did that for me? Greater love, there's no such thing. Thank you that we have that assurance that you are our shepherd that will guard us and protect us, Father, and bring us, we'll see next week, next week all the way home. Thank you for these truths, Father. May they give us comfort and assurance of our salvation and great peace, Father. We love you. We love your son, Jesus, so much. Bless these truths to our hearts and minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope to see you next week. Thank you all for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's the most important thing. And those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Hope to see you next week. I'm going to turn off my screen and say goodnight. God bless.